Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of July 11, 2011. This is episode 111. That's a lot of No way. <laughs> wow. That's something else. What time is it? This is going to be a magical it's podcast. It's currently 11. It's 41. currently 11. If we would have started 40, at 11. 11. 11. <laughs> it's 11, 11. Anyway, I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. Joined today in studio by... Jackie Ritaco, account coordinator with Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. How's it going? Good. This Pretty podcast good. goes to 11, I would say. But it goes to 11. It goes to 11. <laughs> That's totally the title of this show. <laughs> Turn it to 11. That's pretty creepy. The planets are aligned. Too bad it was in November. That would have been perfect. 11, 11, 11, 111. We're going to have to start. We should, I, just, we should have waited. We should have. I realize with the, <laughs> with the number of shows we have now, we'll have to start paying att- close attention to our, uh, closer attention, or I will, to our titling of the episodes. Because we actually had a show named Jargon already, and our last show was initially titled Way to Jargon. Go. So we titled it More Jargon, right? Yeah, then I changed it to More yeah. Jargon. Well, how come we didn't use idiopathic what cardiomyopathy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was supposed to be our title. Your what hurts? You could just put. <laughs> oh, that would have been put idiopathic. We have to write these down during the show so that afterwards I remember. Uh, well, we I said them. You just don't listen to the show, right? I said it in the no, show. No, I do. I do listen to the first chunk and the last chunk and some in the middle to make sure it's all lined up. Unless there's <laughs> stuff I know I need to edit throughout. Right. Um, but yeah, that's okay. I, I, I listen to it after. I listen to it when it's done. After we have downloaded it through iTunes, and yeah, I just don't necessarily listen to every bit during editing. I usually do that too. I, I don't get around to listening to after it's posted. And a lot right. of times people will mm-hmm. send me emails or tweets and go, hey, that was hilarious. I'm like, oh, I don't listen to, to it yet. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it. I guess we should, I mean, we hear it firsthand, right? Yeah. We need to listen to it. Mm-hmm. We're living in the moment. We are. But you miss things. I just so. need to, I'll need to jot down these show titles as they come to us. That one will be easy to remember. Which one? <laughs> I forgot already. The spinal tap reference. Oh yes, yes. Eleven. Oh, is that why I missed it? Because it was a spinal tap reference. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great movie. Okay, so uh, no announcements again. What's up with that? It's summer. I feel What's like all of a sudden we're going to like inundate people What's with announcements. Oh, we are. So everyone just, just you hold wait. your horses. That's right. Pretty soon it's going to be announced. All we're going to have is announcements. Mm-hmm. It'll be twenty-five minutes. Interval in your face. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but for now. It's on to the news. <laughs> I had a great experience the other night. I, I uh, couldn't sleep at all. That wasn't a good experience. But uh, So I was just like laying awake. And I read because I don't know how else you pass the time. It doesn't help you get back to sleep. But uh, And I came across two articles side by side in the latest issue of Business Week that got me excited to get up and like write things down. And you know, this is like 4.30 in the morning, so... Again, not good for sleep, but I thought these would be great to share. They're both healthcare related. I'm going to go with this one first. Let's switch it. Uh, it's very, so this it's very with, Rush Limbaugh of you when you is it? shake your papers. Mm-hmm. Around. No, there's a sportscaster who does it. Rome, Jim. Oh, Rome. maybe he did it first. Very obnoxious. It smells like banana. Could anybody be more obnoxious than <laughs> this, Rush Limbaugh? This smells like banana. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm eating a banana during yeah. the podcast. It's wafting over here. <laughs> wafting. <laughs> All right. So this is a story about uh, a company called, I'm going to guess it's Qlients. Clients? I thought I read it as clients. When it's I read spelled it. Q-L-I-A-N-C-E. And it's a, I it could can't. could be either. Yeah, I thought it was clients. Q-Lions. 
You think if it was Q lions, there'd be a dash or some or something clients? Client. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? All these made up words lately. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So this is a concierge healthcare service for. It's called for the middle class. So, you know, there's been a lot of concierge services popping up over the last decade, and typically they're very expensive. And what that entails is you pay a lot of money to have access to your doctor anytime for any reason, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, not any reason. They're not going to give you open heart surgery, but, uh, but it's typically very expensive. Uh, and, and there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, typically the reason was physicians got fed up with dealing with insurance right. companies uh, and just said, I'm just not going to deal with insurance companies anymore. I'm just going to charge people directly. Right. Uh, and this is one way to do that and ensure a steady cash flow. But it is, it's been pretty much inaccessible for most people. So this group was started by a primary care doc in Seattle. It's got 4,000 patients now, and the difference is it's a much lower entry rate. So monthly fees are between $50 and $130. And so, you know, so that's, that's significantly different. That makes that accessible to a lot of people. They call it middle class. I think that's appropriate. Uh, and this is what I think is cool. Patients' monthly fees cover preventive care, basic tests, advice, treatment for chronic conditions, and simple emergency procedures such as stitches and x-rays. So it's not just your doctor's voice you're paying for. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that are actual fixer-uppers. I mean, the x-rays included in it, the, you know, your stitches. I mean, that's... So I assume, like, if we thought... Our son had an ear infection that would be covered. Take him in and have him checked yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, I'm almost positive. I mean, what's not covered are our prescriptions, uh, you know, hospital procedures, mm-hmm. more advanced diagnostics. Uh, you know, all of those things are beyond. But, you know, most folks pay for those anyway. Different right. to do the math just to see if something like that would be... Then they're not playing worth insurance it, worth it. then either, right? Yeah. Well, 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 most I would, people are. I, yeah, because, I mean, obviously the, the, the main reason you pay insurance is for the if something really, really bad happens. I mean, that's why I, that's why I, I have insurance. You know, if something catastrophic happens and you end up with hospital bills that are like $100,000 or more, um, yeah. you're not going to be able to cover that on your own. So I, I, mean, I could see something like, or at least I'm not, um, I could see something like this maybe allowing somebody to pay a little less for their regular insurance, have a higher deductible, because yeah. some of this stuff is included. For me, I would have a hard, I would have to do the math to see if it was worth it to like keep our insurance as it is now and pay for this on top of that. Because I just don't. It doesn't sound like this would be. Yeah, it sounds expensive. Worth it, especially if, if we were paying seventy five dollars a month or whatever their top level was that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. You know, what's that at the end? What's that? Eight hundred, nine hundred dollars at the end of the year. What is seventy five times twelve? I don't even do the math off the top of my head. Something like that. Yeah. 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 So I mean, is that going to be less than what I would have paid in? Copays for visits and stuff. That's I don't. Pretty much it. Pretty. I think that would be more than what I would have paid in copays. It's probably for most people if they have insurance, going to be a little more expensive, just mm-hmm. because you're paying an additional fee for something that you, in some ways, are already paying for. Now, if you're right. like me, and my kids are seven thousand dollars before insurance kicks in, well, no, I'm paying either way. So, if, if I pay to these folks, I'm not paying into my deductible. Right. Is that price though for like a whole family or is that No, like I don't know person? if it's for a whole family. That's a really good question. Um, I'm assuming it's per person. Pearson? Maybe there's a maybe there's Pearson. A, head pants. If your heads if your name's different than Pearson, it's it's cheaper. Um, no, I don't know if there's a family discount it doesn't talk about that. 
but you know it, that's that's a lot then if i mean it, the um $150 a month for yeah, two yeah. The part of what they want to do is they want to partner with insurance companies to combine that with a high deductible plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so their their uh, chief executive officer, Norm Wu, says that such a package could be sold on the state exchanges that are part of the health reform uh, and could save individuals in the Seattle area 40 to 50% versus today's. Wouldn't it make... Wouldn't it make and maybe I think I've comprehensive I plans. I think we've talked about this in the past, but wouldn't it make more sense for just like really large employers, say Target, Best Buy, to have some do doctors? Yes, some do to have their own clinics for their employees yeah. that do the very this this very thing. Now they're going to pay less, <laughs> now, and then offer higher deductible insurance plans to their employees yes. as well. Pay less for those, or employees pay less for those. Um, and now this is a benefit to the employee because oh, now many of them do right because now your healthcare mm-hmm. is also provided on site if you're a, you know a large facility so if you have allergy shots every week or something you don't have to drive to clinic you just walk down the hall or to the right. 12th floor and there's your clinic right here's uh here was a rebuttal too this is from robert berenson a physician and former medicare official um who says, these guys are responding to public demand that at least some people with resources are able to get a different level of access. I like what they do. I'm just doubtful that it can spread very widely. He adds that even good primary care combined with high deductible insurance falls short of comprehensive coverage and by no means is adequate. And what I want to say to him is, open your freaking eyes and look around. And most <laughs> yeah. people just have high deductible insurance. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if you're saying that this service and high deductible is no means adequate, what is... High deductible without this service. Right, right. Right? I there's mean, there's so much, there's so <laughs> much, there's so much. I, I think a lot of the people, and you, I, you see this when you, when you watch politicians talk about healthcare and health reform. So many of them are, are talking about, especially like on the conservative side, where, they, where their, their whole their, their ideology is that people need to have more control. They need to be able to make their own decisions. And we talk, when, you know, our stance, as you know, if you listen to the show, is that the system is way too complicated for your typical consumer to be able to make decisions because mm-hmm. it's, it's almost impossible to. And there's so much to navigate and so much to understand. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to make decisions in this industry when you're J- Joe Blow. Right. So this is just another example of somebody who seems to not understand, just not looking at this from a, a mile high you know, perspective and seeing that people People, yeah, as you said, don't have, they already have plans like this. They don't, they don't have that typical coverage or this basic access to some of the needs they need because their deductibles are so high. Right. Well, and, and to that point, I think, that, I think this kind of model could actually impact healthcare on a, on a system level yeah. because yeah. it changes the dynamic of, first of all, you going in and paying every time, which is a disincentive to see the doctor, which is not usually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the doctor, you know, they're trying to make money just shooting you through. Well, now if your x-ray is included in this cost, they're going to give you an x-ray if it's appropriate, not because they get more money for right, it. Right. Uh, and this actually says, and this is according to the company, so it's not really independently verified, um, Q-lines or clients, Patients make fewer trips to hospitals and specialists because of the more attentive primary care and incur 22% less in medical costs annually than average. So a lot of that is probably they're getting help in the, from the doctor, not urgent care or the ED for stitches. They're, they're getting things like x-rays taken care of. They're, they're getting their questions answered in a, in, a, in a way that is appropriate 
not a way that drives more costs. You know, your point a second ago, though, do you think, you know, at first I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that your point that somebody is not going to get, is only going to get an x-ray if they need it. Um, and it was like, yeah, that, that starts to incentivize the healthcare, you know, these providers to not make you go through unnecessary procedures mm-hmm. or screenings. Um, but do you think that's true? I mean, do you think they think they're only going to get, I mean, not because now those x-rays cost them money to do, right? right? So is there an incentive? Well, I mean, what's their incentive? Their incentive is to make as much money off you as possible, right? So now are you going to, they're not going to push you through to an x-ray because yeah, there could be a disincentive. They want to save money? Yeah. Though I don't know if x-rays cost each time. The, the cost of the x-ray machine is a hard cost. And once that's paid for, every single one is gravy. That's the way it works with all that diagnostic stuff. Of mm-hmm. course, there's maintenance costs, and there's mm-hmm. you may have to pay somebody, depending on what the diagnostic is, to actually read it beyond the primary care doc. Uh, but in, in an X-ray, if a primary care doc can interpret it, then once it's paid for, it's paid for. Right. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter either way. It doesn't really. I mean, you know, they're they're not going to want to abuse it. But so mm-hmm. it could go both ways. Pardon me. Oh, I was just going to say, part of me wonders if like a program like this isn't a hypochondriac's dream. Yeah, no kidding. That's just, the good like, question. Constant access, constant. There's got to be a because there aren't copays. There aren't. I, I would mean, I would think these guys are going to have to put some kind of. I mean, if somebody's coming to your calling you every day, emailing yeah. you all day, coming to your door every every day, yeah. these people who are just those hypochondriacs. I mean, I mean, it's probably a smaller problem, but I just, I don't know. Just yeah, but I mean, the doctor doesn't have to take on. I mean, the doctor can say, you know, this is, this is how this is meant. The average person accesses us once a month at most. Right. You're coming in every day. If this continues, <laughs> we're gonna have to drop you. Right. I mean, there's nothing to force them to keep these customers. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like, yeah, it's not like an ER where you can't turn somebody away. Right. This is a much more of a typical business where it's like, you know what? Sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> We're not going to work with you anymore. So anyway, just I think it's intriguing. We always like to kind of yeah, talk about these new models. I think it's new. Uh, and here's another new model, which is awesome. I want to spread this however I can because I think it's like the best idea like ever. Uh, so this, this story was in Business Week as well. And it starts off with this guy who's like trying on glasses and he says it's not going well. And, the, you know, he's, it, he says, quote, every time I go into an optical shop, I think, when are these places going to go out of business? It's a terrible shopping experience. Could that not be more true? There's nothing worse than going to buy glasses. It's I, horrible. Right, right. I actually love it. Uh, well, well, you see, <laughs> no, you, I do. You see the it's ads. Like, I would buy glasses every day if I could. Well, you like you, the experience of no, the people you deal with no, and you, the choices you, like, you have. You and like the, cost. the fashion. You like you like the glasses themselves. The process and the pricing well, model is what sucks, right? Well, the pricing model, yeah, but yeah, I enjoy trying them about. on in person, that's and so I bad. like um, having my eyeglasses an hour later. But that's just me. I mean, that's I mean. Getting the having glasses at the end, like especially ones that you think look good on you and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that's fun. I mean, no, everybody likes to get glasses that look good on them in the end. The the, the process is what sucks. Yeah, the and process I process and the people. The, yeah, I get that. Right, that and the pricing model. I mean, you you'll see, especially if you go to a, like your typical Vision World or Pearl or whatever, and they've got the two pairs of eyeglasses for nine, complete eyeglasses for ninety nine dollars, and you get in there and it's like you have like one pair of frames and the, that are butt worst, ugly. And the yeah. worst quality lens option <laughs> right. to go in there for that price. 
Yeah. And once you realize that no, these frames look good on me, and I, I need a yeah, and my gla- my glasses are Coke bottles, so I need this special type of lens, so they're th- so they're <laughs> right. a little thinner, right. and I need this coating on them so that they don't glare, or so that there's extra UV protection, or so that they are pr- you know protect <laughs> so that there's that protection. Um, now you're now you've got you know three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollar glasses. Yeah. Well, and part of this is we've had this discussion before. You like to shop, I don't like to shop. Yeah, and that's that is thing. it's yeah. like shopping for clothes. Or shopping for a piece of formal wear. I'm sorry. There's nothing more. There's nothing worse than going and shopping for a tuxedo or something. That sucks. Suit oh, shopping. for 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 me and for a lot of men. I think this I is. I can gender. understand that one. Yeah. You know, the salesmen I, are horrible in suit stores. So. Okay, we won't give up. Well, I think that I think the same with the glasses. <laughs> to me, it's the same with the glasses. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. You don't know what your real choices are. I don't, I don't want find you it fun at me. in the least. Yeah. Bit. So anyway, so to the That's point fair. about the pricing. What the, so the story goes on to talk about, well, why is that? Why is it so expensive? When you think about it, making glasses has not changed in, I don't even know, decades, right? Yeah. It's, it's a pretty simple thing technology-wise when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, and so these, these guys who are at the University of Pennsylvania, the guy who asked that question at the Wharton School of Business, they were going through their MBA program, and they were trying to find out like a new business idea. And so they kind of built off that guy's experience and figured out that uh, basically, again, quote, the optical industry is an oligopoly, oligopoly, monopoly, oligopoly, (laughs) which means monopoly (laughs) is one, oligopoly is like two or three at most. A few companies are making outrageous margins and screwing you and me. Listen to this, $16 billion industry. Luxic, Luxic, Luxotica. Luxotica. L U X O T T I C A. Luxotica. 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 Whatever. Ever heard of it? No. Based in Milan. It owns Lens Crafters, Pearl Vision, Sunglass Hut, Target and Sears Optical Shops, Ray Ban, Oakley, Oliver Peoples, and it manufactures under license eyewear for more than 20 top brands. So they're doing pretty good for themselves. They've created the illusion of choice. So in other words, you think you have all these choices, right. and really it's one company that has a stranglehold, and that's why it costs so much money. So I would suspect- And why, and why, may I add, the damn experience hasn't changed in years, because there's no reason for them to change it. There's no reason for them to innovate, just like Microsoft right. with their monopoly. That's why the, the, the Microsoft you know, PC experience has been crappy forever. Because they and had no incentive to innovate. Same with these guys, which leads us to our great story. Sorry, Adam, go ahead. No, I was going to throw in, you know, what about these high-end shops? Do you suspect their frames are coming from the same place, mm-hmm. or do you think they're actually coming from higher-end like places? Yeah, like the, like the places where you I go in and you spend $1,000 minimum on a right. pair of glasses. And I know people uh, who do that. All the markup on those just must be incredible. I mean, how yeah. complicated is it to make a lens? Right, it's, that's exactly that's the thing. To make Less the, than these, the to make these frames... frames it's probably just as complex, if not even more complex, maybe, than making some of those $1,000 frames. Maybe the fact that some of them are made out of, like, titanium or something, is, or adamantium, and can, are... Unobtainium. Unobtainium. Well, I, I imagine. I mean, if it's an Navi. oligarchy, then oligopoly, oligop... Oligarchy. <laughs> Olig, ol, oligarchy is a government. Yeah. Oligopoly. Anyway... So yeah, I would imagine this. So these guys came up with the idea of creating affordable, fashionable glasses you can buy online. So 95 bucks 
for whatever pair you want. And so, you know, I hear all this and I'm like, yeah, they've, they found this great secret. But I'm like, you know, it is a personal deal. You need to know how they look. How do you do that online? So first of all, the, the name of the company, I ought to give them that credit, right, is Warby Parker. And they tell whether they get that name. It's kind of a funky place where they get the name. But you go to their website. First of all, you can take a picture of yourself right there with your webcam. And, and it has like this little cool software tool that allows you to see glasses on your face. It's, it's not – I tried it. I mean, it, it helps, but it's still not it's still the not real the thing. still not the same, yeah. But the thing that I think is super innovative is you can pick out any five frames you want. They ship them to you for free, mm-hmm. and you can try them out at home. And then, you know, you ship them all back, and based on the one you want, you just go online and say, that's the one I want. You give them their your prescription, which you should get anytime you get a eye checkup, uh, and you get your glasses, 95 I th- bucks. I think there are quite a few sites out there like that, because I know people who all they do is order glasses online. There are quite a few sites like this? I mean, this isn't innovative and new? I think Business is, Week thought it was. Yeah. Um, I don't think they work like these guys do. I know you can get glasses might, online. Yeah, I mean, it might be different. I mean... And maybe the the site that I was talking to somebody about is this one because yep. it's the free shipping, yeah. Yep. And it's you know you're not committed to it if you don't like them you send it back. They, mm-hmm. yeah. I've heard about these guys. So it's before. still pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's a it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, and I I'd think, love to try it out. I think they're getting some like oh. gorilla grassroots kind of like you know any good product yeah. people hear about it. No advertising. I heard about it through PR basically, but if. If it's really good, you know, you're hearing it in podcasts, Adam, you may hear it from somebody and not even realize it's the same place. Yeah, there could be. be other places, I don't know, but I'm trusting Business Week when they talk about it like it's this innovative new model that it is. But well, that's dangerous. So now I'm going to have 10 pairs of eyeglasses. Jackie's <laughs> like got boxes <laughs> of five frames coming in every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, Addiction. Who, is, uh, who makes the frames? Do they work with these companies the or designer? do they make them their, themselves? Uh, I think they do them themselves. Huh. Yeah, really? and they've got really stylish, like hipster kind of things. And um, Warby Parker uses the same materials in the same Chinese factories as Luxitica, so they're going to the same source, and they're charging a third or a half or whatever. That's interesting. Awesome. Yeah, That's it can sell cool. its glasses well, for less because it doesn't have to pay licensing fees, mm-hmm. which can be as much as fifteen percent of the wholesale cost of a pair of glasses, which it says is a hundred dollars. Warby Parker doesn't have to deal with retailers either whose markups can double or triple prices. Sure. And at least for now, the founders are content with lower margin. So they're, they're not making as much as maybe they could if this took off. But uh, I, anyway, I, I loved it. I, I ordered five yesterday. Just why not? I mean, I need new glasses. Mine are probably 10 years old. So, Well, good luck with that. Yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe I, and It's cool when you go on there. The experience is like you can... Oh, I bet. You can take the picture, share the picture, which looks awkward even though it helps (laughs) but when you get the glasses they're like you should you know you should take pictures you should put them on facebook use your social network to get people's opinion you Mm -hmm. can even send them pictures and they're like professional stylists will tell you which looks better well they got a cool thing going on yeah Yeah, they've kind of thought of everything haven't they yeah i'm gonna try it out i'll try it out too we'll talk we'll talk about our experience we'll We'll see if anybody any of our listeners have tried Mm -hmm. Warby parker all right um we have a couple more things. We'll see how much time we have. One of one, which is this really cool uh, report that I ran across from the folks at UB Care. Uh, and I got to know them at a conference in March, and then I've talked to them subsequently. And they provide uh, custom content for hospitals and health systems. So uh, their main product is through social media. So like, if you wanted to sign up for uh, heart health-related content, 
that could be posted to your Facebook page. Mm -hmm. uh, they will provide vetted content that you could just turn a switch and would automatically flow to your Facebook page as if oh, it were you cool. putting mm -hmm. it out there. But they also give you the, the flexibility to customize every single thing, tweet or post that you want to. So you can um, integrate it with your own links. You can uh, change the word. You can do whatever you want. It's a super to, uh, cool tool. Sorry. <laughs> Fool. <laughs> anyway, but part of what they've done too is they've created this EQ uh, report that looks at what they call the engagement quotient of hospital and health system Facebook pages. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if I'm going to get into how they come up with that. There's actually a... I can read it to you. Your EQ equals, ready for this, likes plus seven times comments, so comments times seven, plus fan posts times seven, plus estimated clicks times two, all of that divided by fans, a minimum of 500. Get all that? You lost me. <laughs> I have no idea how they came up with it, um, but it's basically their way of kind of weighting the different engagements that people will have with mm -hmm. the Facebook page. Uh, and then what they've done is they actually provide an update, I think on a weekly basis, uh, of 1,000 hospitals uh, and their EQ rating. And the way they do is they don't give the raw EQ score. They give a percentile. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, like the top hospital each week is uh, 98th percentile. I don't know why it's not 99, but, uh, well, maybe it's because there's two that are tied for 98. I don't know how that works, but it's just like you're, SAT test or whatever. Mm -hmm. In that case, you do get a raw score, but most people pay attention to the percentile of where you're at. So, like, for example, when I'm looking at this now, Miller's Children's Hospital, which is in California, it has the top EQ rate percentiles, 98%. So they have 388 fans, seven hospital posts, 22 likes, six comments, three fan posts, 19 estimated clicks. I think that's what it must be on a weekly basis. And they only show the top 100 mm -hmm. because what they didn't want to get into, according to them, was they don't want to penalize hospitals that are trying Facebook for the first time, and then they show up like last on the list, and somebody somewhere goes, you suck. You know? <laughs> then, so, they, so they basically show the top 100 names, and then I think after that, the um, – oh, my browser froze. They sh they'll show like – anonymous hospital mm -hmm. scores for the rest. Well, I like the the formula because I feel like it gives not the little guys, but it give every hospital a chance of moving up on the list. It's not just how many fans you have right. or, you know, how big you are, but mm -hmm. it kind of puts everything into the okay equation. Yeah. How how well are you actually engaging people using Facebook? Right. Yeah, so you know, and they're very open in their in their um, content about saying, you know, there's lots of ways to measure this, and you know, we're not trying to say this is the way. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's very well done. We'll provide a uh, a link to their website. It's ubcare.com/engagement. But uh, that you can see the see the report right there. UB as in UBI. UBI. Yep. Yep. So anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. That's it. Yeah. So do we. <laughs> well, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, sit back down. I can, you're so excited. Okay. You're just waiting to get to the last little nugget. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Oh, Hermione. Oh, Hermione. 
So the day of our recording, this day of our Lord, July 7th, 2011, is the <laughs> opening <laughs> premiere, the worldwide premiere. It comes out today? Like, no, it's the oh. worldwide premiere. So it's, it's like they're showing it once in London, and then a week, oh, that helps. July 15th, it's, op- <laughs> it's opening everywhere. Yeah, I don't know why they do that. I mean, I can see doing that like the night before, but an entire week before? Is that like why the premiere where the stars go to the movie and get... Probably cheers taken. Oh, probably yeah. That's probably well, they, and yeah, all the little they, folk. Get they need to time to get all that prom, all those promo shots out into circulation and get them to the publications and build up hype about the probably. That's probably why there's a gap. I think we've talked about this. You guys are not Harry. I mean, not Harry. I Potter have fans. you know, I haven't read a book and I've yeah. watched half a movie and I was kind of unimpressed. So I think I just need to I need to like dig in, but I don't know. It's not really my shtick. Yeah, well, I'm a and I'm and you know me, I'm a huge fantasy fiction buff. Um. But I don't know this this series to me. It probably because initially it just felt like a kids mm-hmm. series, which is probably why I didn't gravitate toward it right away. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the Game of Thrones type stuff a little more. That's a little more. I was going to say real, but that's not the word to use. A little more adult. It's more um, adult. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but God, the last Harry Potter movie certainly did not feel like a kids movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about They're this. Well done, I mean, that's for sure. That's why I try to advocate. If you start with the first book or the first movie, it will feel kids. But if right. you stick with it, I mean, I definitely would not have. I think I picked up to read like the fourth book because I want to know whether I could read it for my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's probably no way I would have read these things if I didn't have kids. So I right. think that's a fair thing. But once I got into them, I really enjoy them, even mm-hmm. as an adult. My yeah. kids love them. Yeah. All of them. But my. F- Including you, I mean, people who I know who enjoy fantasy fiction and who would enjoy adult stuff like Game of Thrones or um, Robert Jordan type stuff, read and enjoy and cannot wait for the new Harry right. Potter stuff to come yeah. out. So I assume I would probably would enjoy it if I did read it. Well, I'm very excited for this movie because it's... It, it's is this the last one? Or is it's there- the last one and it's, it's very dark and it's yeah. very... Um, I mean, I read the book, so I know what happens, but it's just... It should be really good. Now, is this really the last one, or is there going to be another something after it? Well, it's it's really the last Concludes movie the from the books that have been released. There won't okay. be any more of that. Now, we were going to talk a little bit about um, the author, J.K. Rowling, who launched Pottermore. Uh, first of all, people saw the website and were like, what's this? They thought maybe she was going to write more books. It sounds like it's just going to be kind of like an interactive experience and that she'll be releasing more content from the Harry Potter world. Uh, but it won't really be additional novels, at least at not this point. Okay. Uh, but the the other thing that's interesting is that she's going to. I never knew this, uh, but you you cannot buy an e-reader version of Harry Potter right now. now I've bought the audio version, which was hmm. insane. I bought Ooh. it for a trip when I went to the Black Insanely Hills priced? with my kids. The price was like fifty bucks. Yeah. Wow. And it was. 18 hours of audio and I bought it. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. you know, we got a long trip and I'm like, wait a second. It's not that long. And we got through maybe 20% of it. And now I have 80% of a Harry Potter <laughs> book audio that tape? we've already finished reading. Right. right. But anyway, so you couldn't buy the e-reader. And so part of this is she's releasing e-reader versions, but through her. So it's not going to be, she's kind of bucking the publishing trend. It's not going to be available through Kindle or right. whatever. Uh, and it's interesting to kind of read the responses of some of the retailers. Like Apple had no comment. So there's one. Um, Typical. Kindle said something like, we hope to make sure that 
people will be able to find and buy the e-reader version through Amazon. So maybe they just resell it. Uh, but uh, Barnes & Noble was all excited. They promoted it and said they were really much looking forward to having them available on the Nook. So, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion about could this be the start of something new in publishing? Yeah. Because publishers, I guess, strangle authors when it comes to the e-reader rights. Yeah. And big authors like John Grissom and James Patterson and some of these other, like, you know, huge novelists yeah. give up a ton of money to make them available through e-reader. And so they're all looking at her like, if she can pull this off, then what's to stop me from doing yeah. that? Right, yeah. and what does that mean for some of these and that's awesome. publishing companies? I think it's awesome, too, because publishers were like the record companies that basically... You had a slightly different... You've had no. a little bit of a different stance on this in the past when it comes yeah. to... We talked about like what we talked about the music industry and that you're kind right, of decentralizing. Right. So it's, it's, it's interesting, though, but again, I mean, for me, my stance was based on, exper- on my being involved in the music industry on some level and writing some stuff in the past. You know, for me, it was like, wow, this, you know, here's an opportunity... Um, for you, here's, here's where it hits home as an author and someone, you know, someone who creates this type of content. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, wow, now I see how this is you know, an awesome thing for somebody t- to be able to, you know, and you, when you see the cuts that people like Amazon take, 75% of your book sales right, and what right. you're left right. with is for, for your work. Um, yeah, yes, they're bringing you to the, to the masses, but still, 75%, come on. Well, the, you know, the difference is, I see both sides of it. We've, we won't have to rehash that argument of right. kind of like the masses versus the arbiters of expertise, right? <laughs> right. And so publishers have that. You know, they put their weight behind books that they think will sell, which helps the public figure out which of the books I want to buy. Um, but it does limit the. It limits in many ways content from getting out there. It's just a question of if you eliminate the arbiters. Do you just get like a million books? You have no clue, you know. So it's a little different with J.K. Rowling, which she's already established and has used publishers to get there. So she's kind of used the industry in its current form, and now she's. They're a great example. I mean, look in the music industry. You've got like Nine Inch Nails, or um, who's the other big kind of uh, crap? I'm trying to remember the somebody. I don't listen to them that often. There's another group who is who became huge. they were huge before they did this, but they moved away from using a, uh, a, a publisher, if you will. What's the term I'm looking for for music? You record a studio to selling their own music online. Crap, who was it? Kind of an indie group. Well, anyway, Nine Inch Nails is a good name for it. They did that too. I mean, they went to selling their own thing. Okay, yeah. And that model of, and this other group did the, like, pay whatever you want. You know, pay what you think it's worth. Download it for free if you want, if you want to pay something they didn't make a whole lot on it, I don't think, in the end. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but they were also in a position already. They became huge because of the industry and moved away from it because they were already huge. What will mm-hmm. be interesting to see is if people can become huge without the industry behind them. Right. I see what you mean. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think we're moving toward a model where that is more of a possibility than, than ever. Mm-hmm. So, I just had a really weird thing happen. What? And I, it's really funny. So I'm sitting here as we're talking, and I have my laptop open because we were looking at the Ubicare stuff and instantly got like 10 follows on Twitter. Just like boom, 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 boom. Like what's that about? Ooh, I mean, what that's, people, is it maybe spam bots? What was it though? No, no, they're all healthcare people. Hmm. And I'm like, what's that about? I mean, uh, you know, that's really odd. And then I, and I recognize like some of the names are in Florida. 
So they're based in Florida. I'm like, you know, Chris Boyer is speaking today at a conference in mm. Florida. <laughs> and so he probably tossed my name out in the and conference boom. and people were like, blah, blah, blah. and there it is. So now I'm trying to look up Chris Boyer to see if he actually tweeted something about it. Uh, but actually, I'll have to look up, look up at Chris Boyer to see if people are, t- are tweeting about him, not him tweeting. Oh, good point. Cause they're probably, yeah. Cause if he's talking and presenting, he's not tweeting. Whereas yeah. people who are listening are probably tweeting with his name. Unless he's a mastermind. Well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll just tweet him and say, did you happen to just mention my Twitter account at a conference? Hi, everyone. All right. Well, we'll do, do that, that now. after <laughs> the podcast. Yeah. Anyway, you know, one, yeah, of, one I, of the points you made earlier, though, was one that I think I would argue, too, is that you, know, you had said that these, the industry helps people figure out what they want to read. And I think that's a little bit of a misguided, or not misguided, but a they, they basically force stuff down your throat. I mean, they say, this is what you're going to read. They say, this is what's going to be big. This is what you're going to read, right? There are, t- there are probably thousands, hundreds if not thousands of books out there that you would enjoy just as much as Harry Potter, but you don't know about them because they're not what's being forced down your throat by the people who say, this is what you should be reading. Right. So it'll be nice to see that model change a little bit too. Hmm. Hmm. Same, with, same with music. You listen, if you listen to Jackie mainstream, if you listen to mainstream hmm. Radio, you know, if that's your thing, if you don't listen to indie or whatever, you listen to what's on the radio. You listen to what the industry tells you you want to hear or what they want you to hear, right? Yeah, but that's because not that it's who bad better stuff. to decide what is what's going to be popular. Again, this is where we get back to the uh, yeah. In a perfect world, if the masses can decide, then that's the better choice. I agree with you, mm-hmm. but I have yet to see. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to say I've yet to see. I'm sure there are places where you could go and find the masses saying this or that or whatever. But I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to think of one where I'm actually trust that. We had this discussion like with food and with well, that's, music. That's pretty much how, that's how a lot of these new music services work. I mean, if you use like Pandora or Last.fm, you know, as you're listening to music, you can like up, like it up or down, give it kind of thumbs up, thumbs down to each selection. And if you make a station based on an artist, um, let's say you picked like Toad the Wet Sprocket or something, and now your state, now you, all the artists are like, <laughs> the, so I don't bad. know why those guys came to mind. The Spin Doctors, <laughs> let's say the Spin Doctors. So you make a station based on that band, and now everything that you hear is like them. Well, their algorithms are based on people who listen to similar music, how they've done thumbs up or thumbs down. So it's uh, probably not that complex, but. Um, I don't know. That's one model where now it's based. It's going to be based at least in some part on the masses, on whether they like stuff that was related to what you're listening to, and artists that are yep. related to them, and artists related to them, and this this network of and it's mind blowing tendrils yeah. that goes out. And I do that quite a bit actually for all the things I just mentioned. I'll always look at like Netflix, most popular, right? Mm, well, right. I, I use Amazon recommendations sometimes. Do you? Yeah. Just like individual recommendations. Well, no. Like if I'm looking at books. Like a lot of times I'll just go on Amazon and I'm like, meh, need a few books for the summer. Right. And I'll pick one and they'll say, well, if you like this type of book, you'll like this and I'll oh, buy yeah, it. Oh, yeah, but that's, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's not based on, well, it's a little bit based on some kind of algorithm, but it's, it's yeah. some arbiter of technology telling you it's not, I thought you meant like you'll read or, the reviews. I will, yeah, I'll do that yeah, too. Those two, but you're probably also looking at, like what I, I look on, on Amazon, you know, I'll, other people who bought this bought these things yes. or people who looked at this ended up buying this right. one instead. And I read the reviews. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, and I'll sometimes read reviews. A lot of times I'll look at the star rating and then look at how many people actually 
gave it that. So if there's like 4,000 people who gave it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's got five stars out of that, it's like, oh, well, that's probably a pretty good indication struggle. that it's a good product. I struggle with reviews. It has, there has to be a mass. There has to be a limited mass for me to trust it because almost right. inevitably you get a review that says this is the best thing in the world and the next review says this sucked more than anything I've yep. ever seen yep. or read or heard. And more than likely... And then what are you going to do? I don't know these two people. Who's right. It's, who's prob- it's probably the publisher and his biggest competitor. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just can't... I mean, yeah, it's tricky. It's hard for me. Yeah. I, no. use, I do use reviews a lot, I will just say, for travel. For hotels and I've stuff. I've used them. I used them when I shop for a hotel... Um, LA for a trip to LA yeah mm-hmm. and I did look at them and there was a couple that were so bad it turned me off a hotel yeah but again they could just be the competing hotel going in there saying stuff I don't well, really know well, you, and you can get good little tips in there too especially for travel they'll be like check out the restaurant around the corner from here mm-hmm. you might not have known it was there otherwise so I know, there's 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 good stuff you can get out of reviews yeah all right, we better end. Yeah, we've gone. Another, we've gone pretty long. Yeah, another it's been marathon. an hour podcast. It's a forty what minute, forty do you minutes do so for a Klondike bar. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going with the marathon That's old bar. School. <laughs> I know. All right, for arrogant healthcare marketing bastards, this is Chris Bevelo, Jackie Ritaco, Adam Meyer. Talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>